Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello Trojan fans and welcome to episode number 192 of the Peristyle Podcast. We've got a great show for you this week on the podcast. Lane Kiffin got his signature win for the staff and these players going on the road and beating Notre Dame. Uh, so we're going to talk a lot about that. We have a ton of questions to get to this week. A lot of people sent in voicemail questions and email questions. If you want to email us for the next podcast, our email address is podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can give us a call and leave us a voicemail, 206-888-6755. we got, I think, a record number of voicemails this week. Obviously, uh, the big victory uh, over Notre Dame fueled a lot of that. We're going to talk some recruiting uh, with Gerard Martinez coming up a little bit later on in the show, and we have uh, Coach Harvey Hyde's actually on his way back to Las Vegas, so unfortunately, he will not be on the show again this week. We... Uh, uh, we apologize for that. He will be back next week. He had a lot of interesting things to say. I got to talk to him on the phone a little bit, and hopefully you got to hear him during the Trojan Brunch. But we do have uscfootball.com beat writer extraordinaire Dan Weber, who was in South Bend for the game, and he's joining us in the first segment. Going to answer a lot of your questions about USC Notre Dame. Dan, how's it going? What's what's up? Very good. Uh, uh, it's uh, it's kind of fun, I, you know, as a Midwestern guy, and probably started getting taken to Notre Dame games by my dad. Well, I'm probably like 12 years old or whatever, and uh, from uh, from Cincinnati, and uh, always enjoyed going there, and uh, <laughs> enjoyed uh, probably the last uh, five trips with uh, with USC even uh, even more so. Yeah, definitely fun. I remember I took my wife, who grew up. She's a Tennessee fan, but she grew up. She said she only watched Notre Dame on TV because that's all they got. So she kind of grew up a Notre Dame football fan, and I took her to a game. I guess it was four years ago. And all she wanted to do was hear the Notre Dame fight song, and USC ended up winning 38 nothing. so they never played the fight song. So she was a little out of luck. But, yeah, she, I think we, you know, she wished she could have been there for that one as well. It must have been a really fun atmosphere to be involved in. Yeah, it was. I mean, uh, and, and it was certainly a, a case of Lane called it because he uh, – and, and I, I kept asking people this, kind of the same question. I said, what happens – if they lose, you know, they had this whole buildup. I mean, they were writing stories for weeks about all the recruits they got coming in. And then, uh, you know, the, the, the new, you know, fleck gold, you know, real gold paste helmets. And maybe they're going to wear the green jerseys. And, uh, uh, you know, just one thing after another. And they're going to, you know, the bye week and then moving the game tonight. And, you know, we're going to do this uh against USC, and uh, NBC was so excited about it, they gave Notre Dame credit for two games on their TV contract because they moved it to the night, you know. And so it was like everything, and, and, and I do remember this because it was a sports editor uh, at the, uh, uh, for a Super Bowl weekend with the Cincinnati Bengals in Cincinnati, and I still remembered we, did it, we were going to do a cooperative section after the Super Bowl on Monday uh, with uh, the news department, and they wanted a 32-page special section. And they were so excited about all the stories, you know, they're going to be able to do. 
And I remember sitting around with all the editors of all the various news departments, and finally I had to ask him this question. What if the Bengals lose? We won't have any celebration stories in Fountain Square. We won't have, and we ended up with 24 pages worth of, you know, that we could fill, not 32 pages. And you always, I think, in sports, and this is what we learn, you always have to ask the question, what if we lose? And I'm not sure anyone at Notre Dame thought they were going to lose. It was amazing. I mean, to put all that, have all that riding on that game. For example, to have all the coaches having to meet with all those recruits right after the game, how hard would that be? Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, oh, I mean, we, we had to actually literally, you had to ask Eric Armstead, for example, to step, step aside as you worked your way through. Uh, the crowd of recruits outside the Notre Dame locker room to get to the interview room. And I'm thinking, you got all these coaches in there that are just thinking, what the heck just happened? And now they got to put on a happy face to meet with, you know, like they had all these California kids there in South Bend. Uh, and thinking, man, now, how, do, how does this go now? This, this... And Lane was right. I mean, he, he was very much aware of the uh, – uh, of the effect that that could have on a coaching staff. Although I will say this, I think he came around a little bit. He didn't go visit on Friday, which I really would have recommended. Not going overboard, but visiting. But it certainly looks like the reception that USC got when they bust in on Saturday really helped USC, you know, get themselves mentally prepared for the game. Uh, the really negative, kind of nasty. Uh, uh, reaction from the Notre Dame folks. I think it, 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 if there was any doubt among USC kids about how much this game mattered and what was on the line here and all that, uh, it was completely removed. And, and I thought they handled it just unbelievably well uh, in warming up and the total business, you know, focus uh, and not letting you know anybody, you know, put them off their game. I mean, it was a uh, it was a confident performance the likes of which you haven't seen for a while. It was the, it reminded you of Pete's teams, where the bigger the game, the more they hated you, the more they you know, were acting like, we're going to just kill you, the more Pete's teams knew they weren't, that wasn't going to happen, that they were going to be the ones that were going to benefit from the environment, and uh, that they were going to, you know, they were just so confident. Well, that, that was what this, this USC team, uh, a young team, uh, and a young coach, you know, young head coach, kind of both grew up together, I think, uh, you know, here, in, you know, midway through the second year of, of, of Lane's uh, staff being here. So we'll see, you know, how going forward. Last year, I don't think they handled going forward well after the best couple of performances of the year against Stanford and Cal. We'll see how uh, how they handle it this week. They certainly got something to focus on, but uh, – but it was a very mature, confident, um, you know, let's trust in our abilities, let's trust in our coaches, let's trust in our players' uh, performance that, that we haven't really seen uh, uh, until um, until last weekend. Yeah, I agree. And, I mean, you got a game day coming in this weekend. It's going to be, a, you know, battling a top-five team in Stanford, a team they played really well against last year. And so far the teams they played well against, like defensively, Cal, uh, you know they they played well again against them this year. The same thing with Notre Dame. That's why I predicted that USC would win this game when I did all my radio stuff. Is because the the, the USC defense seemed to match up pretty well. Uh, you know against well, and Cal, you know what else I think it, it, if they played well against them last year, 
it encourages, I think, the coaching staff to say, we don't really have to, you know, uh, change too much. We don't have to go for, you know, something that we haven't done. You know, like last year, after playing well against Cal, they decided now we have to do a whole lot of different stuff for Oregon. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that's what you want to see is uh, the last two defensive performances. You just build on those. You just take all the good things that you learned in those, uh, you know, for example, how much better these guys perform when they're up, you know, in a more aggressive posture, when they're moving at the, you know, start, when they're not having to read and react first, when they're not in space. You know, if you start out way deep in space, they have a long way to come up to make plays. But if you start them out closer, you know, to the line of scrimmage, closer to the action, closer to Michael Floyd, for example, they have a much better chance of making plays on Michael Floyd. Remember last year, they, uh, you know, if, if anything went wrong, it was kind of allowing him to have a cushion. And uh, he became the playmaker. Uh, the other night, they didn't allow him to have a cushion. And um, in a lot of ways, Nikel Roby became the playmaker. I, I, uh, and, and here you see this, you know, Mutt and Jeff kind of thing, you know, six four guy, and, and, and little Nikel is probably not quite 5'8", and uh, it was fun to on the bench talk to you know at the, at the end of the game and just tap him on the on the back and say you big bully you know leave that guy alone out there you know he <laughs> he, he just was having so much fun being able to be physical and being able to be aggressive and being encouraged by Sammy Knight for example you know you know what they're going to run go get it go get the ball jump the route you know that's fine that's and. That, this is a kind of a team, I think, and USC teams probably always have been the, those kinds of teams where you have to encourage them to use their ability and make plays and, and not be worried about making mistakes. They just have to go out and make plays. Uh, all right. Well, we got a lot of questions to get to, so we're going to try to get to these all uh, very quickly. Thank you so much for sending all the questions in, voicemail and emails. And you did mention the recruiting aspect. We're going to talk to Gerard Martinez about that. He mentioned that Pete Carroll was really, he was notorious for trying to bring in huge amounts of official visitors late in the year against Notre Dame or UCLA. And typically he won, so that wasn't a really bad decision. And like right. you mentioned, uh, and Gerard mentioned this too, we did our show uh, last week, our Ustream show. He's like, if if you bring in all those people and don't win, then it's, it's kind of a must-win scenario you've created for yourself. So I think those are great points that you brought up, Dan. Well, let's, let's get to these questions. Uh, Michael... Had a couple of things. One, he thought Barkley managed a game like a pro, but he st- still felt a few passes that elite quarterbacks need to make. He did not. He hopes he stays for a senior season to work out some of these issues. Uh, he doesn't want to sound critical because he thinks the world of Barkley. And uh, also about the gimmicks, he wanted to know about playing that loud music. Uh, Notre Dame was playing a bunch of music and speakers behind the bench. And uh, when he had the ball, it was classless, just like not cutting the grass a few years back. I would normally take a knee at the end of the game which is a classy thing to do, but Saturday I would have punched the ball in and let Kelly know that last touchdown was for the idiotic music. Maybe I'm overreacting. He says, P.S., we need to generate more pressure on the quarterbacks. Time to chop down some trees. That's from Michael. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with Michael there. Uh, you know, I think Lane certainly voiced his disapproval of the music immediately. And, uh, you know, I think it did. Uh, I, I think more than the fact that it was distracting, it was just the idea that Notre Dame thought they could do that and that that was a, the right thing to do, even though, you know, the basically, you know, and maybe the guy playing the music, the, the disc jockey, you know, Notre Dame Stadium disc jockey, uh, 
didn't get the word that you're not allowed to you know play uh, the music while the other team's at the line of scrimmage on offense. And uh, uh, Lane certainly knew that, and the officials knew it. And it, it, it you know, it kind of went away. It's just a thought that that was that's no. I mean, it's Notre Dame. They got to show some class. Come on. I mean, that was that was disappointing. I thought more than almost anything. Uh, I thought USC handled the end of the game pretty well. I think they were really thrown off by Notre Dame not using their timeouts. And, uh, you know, it was the players were stunned. The coaches were stunned. Like, what are they doing over there? So Notre Dame didn't help itself. So I don't think USC had to do a whole lot more to kind of make Notre Dame aware of they really kind of fell short of the mark uh, uh, the other day. I mean, Lane, you know, gave them a, a little kind of gentle – you know, little nudges uh, after the game, but nothing where he went out of, out of his way. Just, uh, just that you know, we know what you were doing, and we we, we didn't go there. We we don't need to go there. And yeah, I think they uh, they probably really do need to, to figure out some ways to get uh, get more pressure on the quarterbacks. However, I'll, I kind of will take uh, yesterday's uh, or Saturday's game. Uh, I think they, uh, you know, Notre Dame's quarterbacks were under probably more pressure than um, uh, than we realized if you looked at their performance. Uh, I mean, they did, you know, they turned the ball over, they sailed it, they uh, didn't see, uh, you know, passing lanes being closed down and that. So uh, this is a, a pass, uh, pass rush that, that kind of has gotten so close on so many times in so many games. I mean, they just, you know, they're right there, and that kind of pressure, you know, even if it's not officially considered a hurry, uh, they're hurrying those guys. Nobody's, uh, you know, uh, except on an occasional play, nobody, I think, feels real safe against the UFC pass rush. Uh, it'd be interesting, how does it work this week, you know, with uh, with Luck and, uh, you know, with his size and athleticism, escapability, his, uh, you know, stable of those giant tight ends. Uh, to throw to and the ability to, you know, kind of, you know, run it and then play action. I think uh, a big key this week will probably be USC's ability to stop the run. I don't think people have, have – I mean, I, I think that was one of the real mistakes in analyzing the Notre Dame game uh, beforehand for the national media is they were convinced Notre Dame could run the ball. on, And they can't, on, not against USC. Right. USC isn't, <laughs> I mean, they, they gave up 35 rushing yards to Cal and 41 to Notre Dame. And Notre Dame finally stopped. They didn't even try. They ran the ball 14 times. But for the people who were analyzing the game, Notre Dame wasn't running the ball against, you know, Pittsburgh or uh, Purdue, you know. And it's a whole different ball game. And USC hasn't really, you know, they, they had, you know, the one play where uh, they, you know, get unbelievably out of bounds and everybody comes across the middle and Notre Dame, you know, gets them around the end. But uh, other than that, USC's hard to run on. So, uh, that, that, you know, if they say uh, hard to run on and almost getting to the quarterback, I, I think I'd be okay with that. Okay. Uh, well, let's, uh, we're going to we'll try to get to all of these. So let's see. We have a quick one. Here's a voicemail question. Hey, Ryan et al. Um, it's Noel from Washington, D.C. Um, really enjoyed the Notre Dame game. A couple really quick questions about the team. Uh, first off, I noticed that after Robert Woods touched down, a lot of the guys, they kind of made like this eating motion. I've seen this um, a couple of times, like they're spooning soup uh, into their mouths. I was wondering uh, if you guys knew what that was all about. And also, 
uh, at the end of the game, uh, Matt Barkley, during his interview, uh, referred to Curtis uh, McNeil as Moody McNeil. I was wondering if that was just a slip of the tongue or if that's a nickname that he has on the team. Thanks a lot. Uh, great game. Fight on. Now, uh, to our uh, uh, Washington, D.C. questioner, uh, and I didn't catch his, his name, uh, uh, Moody definitely is uh, Curtis's his nickname. I mean, I think at times they said, oh, let's don't call him Moody, but it's always been uh, much more said than Curtis. He's been Moody, and, uh, and that is a, a term of affection uh, you know, for the rest of the players. Yeah, the spooning, uh, uh, that's interesting. I don't know if that's, you know, let's the, the big dog eat it or, or what that is. We'll have to check on that. That, that, was, uh, that was very interesting. Uh, uh, so uh, I, I try to try to, I think, at times look away on anything that can even be remotely interpreted as some sort of celebratory gesture after a touchdown or in the end zone. I just like, I, <laughs> I think it's one of those things where I'm going to look away. Maybe the uh, maybe the officials will too, because uh, it, it just gets you into a place where you wish the NCAA hadn't hadn't gone so much, and it puts it into so much of an area of uh, you know uh, judgment calls and all that that uh, uh, that you almost wish you didn't have to worry about that kind of thing or even think about it after uh, after a touchdown. Uh, but uh, we'll check on that and see uh, exactly what uh, what what that gesture is. All right, and then uh, Moody, yeah, he had that actually at Venice High School too, so that wasn't something he picked up at USC. He's had that for a while. Um, yeah. say David wants to know, Lane Kiffin spoke in the press conference about Andre Hadari getting shot up and still not being able to play. What sort of shot would that be? Thanks for all the great work and love the war room too. So he's referring to the war room on uscfootball.com. But uh, what do you got for David there? Well, uh, David, uh, you know, I know some people described it as a, uh, uh, a sprained ankle, and that might have been a secondary thing, but, but I walked out with Andre kind of, uh, he was on crutches, and I actually talked to him both going off the field and then going out of the locker room. And his description of it, and he certainly he pointed exactly, it's on the outside of the ankle bone, uh, right on the joint, and he just got stepped on. He tried to make the play on George Atkinson, the third 96-yard TD run, and he was pretty much right in the scene there when uh, when they, you know, busted it open. And he just got run over, uh, and he got stepped on, and it sounded like more than one guy. So I said, did they realize you were the kicker? They were stepping on your – he said, nah. He said, I just happened to – it was in the wrong place, and they just stepped on it. So I think, you know, they, he might have gotten a little, you know, a, a shot for the pain because you don't normally want to uh, uh, do any kind of um, uh, that kind of a shot into a joint other than for something where, you know, you got a bone bruise, which uh, I think that was the, you know, the precipitating event, you know, where he just got you know, really hurt. But then they did also try to tape it up a little bit uh, when he came back out, and it was still taped up when he tried that first field goal. Uh, which he just couldn't hit at all, and he realized, you know, if they tape it like that, they don't have any flexibility in it at all. So he took the tape off, but he still had the pain, uh, clearly. Uh, it was uh, – so they, they got him off of it. Whether it's kind of a double um, uh, a double issue where he's got a, uh, uh, you know, slightly uh, sprained ankle on top of, uh, you know, say a bone bruise where they stepped on it, and, uh, you know, whether the same, you know, kind of action did both uh, injuries to him, I don't know. But I do think they were trying to, you know, ease up the pain a little bit, uh, but not to do something that would uh, would cause him any, uh, you know, ability to, you know, use that joint or have any flexibility with it. But uh, but I think you can do that, uh, you know, uh, if there's a you know, kind of a painful injury, but you don't want to do it if it will risk a guy's, 
you know, where he won't feel the joint when he uses it and uh, and could do any further injury. So I, I kind of think that's exactly what, uh, what Lane was talking about. Okay. Uh, thanks for that one. Let's see. We have... This is uh, Tonks in Australia, so this is a good one. So we'll, uh, we, we love the international questions. Thanks for this one, Tonks. He's, uh, he's wrote it before. He's like, good day, Ryan. Firstly, what a great game uh, over the weekend. My favorite aspect, and he spells favorite with a U, so I think that's a European you aspect. <laughs> uh, aspect was how USC didn't give up on the run. Kind of easier when you have the lead for the whole game, but it leads to his question. With the off-field discretions that surrounded uh, Mark Tyler this season, do you think Curtis McNeil has earned the – starting running back spot. I was so impressed with how he ran uh, how he ran in the game in the last five minutes uh, regards Australia's number one fan, Tonks, and he had uh, a couple other things. He said, congratulations to me on the wedding. He got married himself in May. Congratulations to you, Tonks, for the wedding. For Coach Harvey Hyde, uh, just some condolences around Cece, his, his dog that passed away. Um, and for Dan, he said, thanks for the heads up on reading Unbroken earlier this year. I love Louie's remarkable story and his fight on attitude. So that's Tonks in Australia. Well, uh, I have to say hi to Tonks. My, uh, my sister lives in, uh, in Perth and, uh, her, uh, her husband, two, uh, two children. She's lived in Perth probably 25 years now. So, uh, and she's been a high school teacher, art teacher over there and met her husband at the, uh, uh, Munich Olympics. He was in Australia. And he was uh, touring the world after serving uh, in Vietnam uh, for the Australian forces. So uh, uh, even though Perth, from everything we understand, is the most remote urban you know, city in the, in the world, uh, it's really a cool place, and, uh, and we, we felt very close to Australia. Uh, I think we maybe make too much of the, uh, who's the starter. I like the one-two punch. I like the... Uh, you know, I thought Mark Tyler, I was kidding him after the game. I said, you know, it looks like the thing you have to do to get ready for a game is, like, not practice all week. Your legs get fresh. <laughs> I mean, the first time he ran the ball, we're all like, was that Mark Tyler? Look at that. You know, and he just had a real burst, I thought. Um, just the fact that and, he was in uh, the game starting and then breaks off a big run where you didn't even think he was going to play. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was impressive. And he's, he's really uh, – He's done some great things. I, I just think the combination of the two, they're both wonderful stories. They're both comeback stories, you know, with Moody McNeil coming back from academic issues and, and very close to, to not being able to hang in there with this program and uh, and just, you know, getting himself uh, squared away and to have Mark, uh, you know, having to deal with all the things he had to deal with over the last, uh, you know, uh, summer spring and summer and 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 i think he's making himself a pretty darn good nfl prospect uh with with the way he's uh handled this the way he's running the ball and i think you're absolutely right that it, it was a genius move by lane i thought to attack notre dame again uh the thinking was notre dame could could run the ball on usc but usc couldn't run the ball on notre dame i mean that was what you heard from all the pundits about you know usc's got no running attack no way they can, you know, uh, Dr. Lou, you know, Lou and all the, you know, all the folks that just, you know, and I, I think that was the kind of statement, you know, when you come out and you attack them right up the gut, right at Nancy Teo and right at those big defensive tackles and, uh, and do something that nobody really had done to them this year. I think it really, you know, it's the kind of let's take the game over right away. Let's take the crowd out of it. 
and let's make Notre Dame wonder, what the heck are we doing? You know, what's happening to us? I thought it was a genius move, and I think the, uh, the use of, of Mark to kind of go right at him, soften him up, get Mark, you know, going early, and then having Moody come in there as the uh, change of pace guy, the guy who, you know, makes three or four extra moves and doesn't go down and, uh, you know, runs into Mancy Teo, bounces off, and then, then takes off another direction. Uh, I mean, to me, that's the perfect way to do the run game. So, uh, so I, I kind of like it, and I, I kind of like it that, you know, I would consider both of them uh, first-team uh, running backs for USC right now. And uh, and I think they've done it uh, and set it up and got to a place, uh, you know, I don't know that they knew that this is where they were going, but I think, you know, right now they've gotten to a pretty good place as far as the run game and the, the, the two tailback tandem. Yeah, they're both listed as uh, co-starters on the, uh, the tandem there. You know, just one quick thing on that Manti Teo stuff. I didn't really notice, and I think, the, I think you're exactly right, they softened them up and they kind of ran right at them. I saw Manti Teo's post-game uh, interview uh, his little scrum, I saw some of the video of that from uh, Irish Illustrated, the Notre Dame Rivals site. They put some of that video up there. I just didn't even notice his name really being called all that much. I mean, was there much talk about how he did or what happened with uh, Manti Teo in that game? You know what? I mean, I think they were shocked at the fact that he wasn't much of a factor. And I think what you realize is, and this is where Lane, I think, has some, has some true genius. Manti Teo, I think, is the kind of, you know, he's 6'1", 255, but what he's got is the ability to run to plays and run plays down and run to the sideline and run in the secondary. And I think guys like that sometimes don't handle it when you run right at them. And I think USC, I mean, it was stunning to watch, you know, one after another, uh, you know, uh, where they hit the you know, tailback up, up inside and there'd be the seam, and you couldn't find Manti. You, could, you didn't know where he was. I thought also he handled it really well after the game. I thought he was very classy, and, uh, you know, uh, I know some people weren't very happy with his, uh, you know, uh, prep, pep rally uh, remarks, but, uh, yeah, but I thought he big, handled it. I was out on the field when he was shaking hands with the USC kids, and I thought that, uh, you know, it, it was done very – and I, I thought after the game the Notre Dame kids were very classy. Uh, uh, and, 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 and all of that. But, yeah, you're right. I think Lane figured out a way that uh, instead of having him run down plays, uh, say, you know, outside the end or, or uh, you know, somewhere else, just run right at him and, uh, and, and get him screened out. And uh, maybe he'll, you know, choose the wrong route to get to the ball carrier. He'll go the long, you know, the long way or whatever. And uh, that's what the thing I thought with Tyler's acceleration early. He was just running past people. They weren't getting there quickly enough. And I, I do think people underestimated tremendously UC, uh, USC's level of athleticism and the, the level of athleticism vis-a-vis uh, the Notre Dame kids who really weren't as quick and weren't as fast and don't pick up their feet as quickly as the USC kids. And when you see them, this is one of the things where you're there in person and you realize as you see the two teams, and Pete Carroll used to always talk about that's the most exciting moment in the game when you see your kids lined up against their kids and you see the relative quickness and athleticism and who matches up and who gets to the scene quicker and who can close down the uh, the gaps and the angles and all of that. And you realize Notre Dame couldn't. They didn't have the athleticism necessary to play uh, against a USC team 
uh, playing uh, with confidence and playing at, you know, at, at the level that that USC team was, which has been the story of the last dozen or so years. Where you know that was that was the case again, and I think it hit Notre Dame. Uh oh, here we go again, and they played a little uh, little desperate uh, because I don't think they expected it. I really don't. I, I, I'm surprised they didn't. Uh, but no one was giving USC credit for having pretty good athletes. And I know, you know, maybe with us, people at times, you know, said, oh, we just aren't as good as, you know, and USC's not as good and you shouldn't expect this much and all that. And and for those of us who are out there every day, we kind of know what we're seeing. Yeah. <laughs> we kind of know what the potential is athletically for, for this USC team. And we know they're young and we know uh, other things. But uh, But I don't think it was a surprise – to us in terms of the talent levels, the athletic, you know, ability that that they put it all together and that they, you know, did it with confidence and did it from the first play, you know, that made you say, wow, okay. Yeah. But uh, I don't think any of us were surprised that, that, you know, USC had more athletes on the field than Notre Dame did. Okay. And then uh, we'll, we'll get back to these questions here, but just so people know, Manti Teo had some, uh, he they filmed him at the pep rally and talking about you know Mister. He made some disparaging remarks about Lane Kiffin and writing chapters in history and all that stuff that they started history last year and whatever. So it obviously came back and blew up in his face a little bit. So it's good. Well, to and see. I do think it also kind of revealed maybe that Notre Dame by the end of the week was feeling some of that pressure, and I think they may have realized. You know, because they knew Lane was kind of tweaking them about that. And they knew, I think, they were a little vulnerable. Because I think it does start to hit you. My question, what if we lose? What if we don't play well? What if, you know, and I think there was a defensiveness almost about th- those kinds of remarks that, uh, that maybe revealed more than, than we realized at the time of the remarks. All right. Well, let's get back to the questions here. We have some that were from voicemail for Coach Harvey Hyde, but you know we're Dan, we don't have them on this week, so Dan, we'll have you answer them. But here we go. Yeah, I'd like to hear the coach talk about the uh, addition of not running so much Tampa two early in the game and then sneaking it in a little bit later. I thought we did a great job on defense and uh, really held a a good Notre Dame team down. Um, Maybe now uh, the Kiffin coaching family can, you know, get, get have that marquee win and people can get off their backs and not, not be wanting their jobs. Uh, this is Mike from Dallas. I listen to all your podcasts. You guys do a great job. And uh, thanks for bringing uh, Trojan football all the way across the country to me. Thank you. Hey, uh, Mike from Dallas. You know, I don't know that uh, that it's been necessarily a bad thing for people to be kind of pushing the USC defense to go in the direction that it played um, uh, Saturday at Notre Dame. I mean, I do think, uh, you know, instead of allowing the other team to be the playmaker and then trying to react to it and cutting down the damage, I think the kinds of players USC has and the kinds of players they recruit probably don't do that as well. And I think you basically uh, turn them loose with a Nikel Roby and say, you know, you may be eight inches shorter than, you know, Michael Floyd, but your job is to get in his grill and to stay there 
and to not let him, you know, have free reign to run anywhere and bringing other guys. For example, I don't think it's a surprise the last two weeks they brought, you know, they brought guys up closer. They, they're, they're, they're playing from the get-go. They're running. They're moving at the, you know, right away. Even if they're in a similar structure, it's where do they start from and how do they get into the play? And it's not a surprise, for example, that – it's Juwanza Starling has had two really good games back to back in this new kind of setup where they just have him more in the middle, you know. And I know he will tell you, well, I should be able to make those plays from back there, but <laughs> it's just that he does a far better job where they have him now. Even if he's doing the same kinds of things, he's being forced to be in the play and to be moving more, more. Uh, quickly in the play. And I think this is a team that rather than sitting back, analyzing, and then trying to make, uh, you know, the right reaction and read, uh, I think, you know, getting them moving, getting them into the play, using their athleticism. I mean, I don't know that anybody would have thought, you know, Nikel Roby can come right through, uh, Michael Floyd, jump the route, you know, take the ball away, and Michael Floyd just kind of grabbing his jersey as he goes by and, like, what the heck just happened? Uh, I think that's – a lot of people have been putting pressure on USC knowing the kinds of athletes they have to say trying to adapt those guys to something that you might be doing in the NFL with much more experienced, much more veteran players uh, is maybe not necessarily the way to go. So, you know, I don't know if anybody was, you know, necessarily saying, you know, uh, somebody has to, you know, lose their job or whatever, but – but there was the sense of this has to change. And it's clearly uh, changed the last couple of weeks and adjusted. And, you know, those Arizona-Arizona State games back-to-back, I think, made it pretty, uh, you know, self-evident that it had to change, that they just couldn't allow teams to keep making plays and setting the tone of, 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 of every football game. You have to do that with your defense, I think, if you can. And USC has got the playmakers, I think, to be able to do that, uh, and it's it's probably a different philosophy from say what Monty uh, you know believed in the NFL. But again, this is not the NFL, and these guys are you know you're not dealing with 30 year you know 30 year old NFL guys. You're dealing with 20 year old you know guys that are a year or two out of high school, and uh, it's just a whole different uh, you know way of looking at the defense. Which I think you know USC has adapted. They've learned. They're learning to go in the direction of let's go with our strengths. Let's go with our player strengths. And, and uh, I think we've seen the results. We have. All right. Uh, let's see. Let's, we got a bunch more to get to. We're going to try and squeeze them okay. all in. Uh, sorry if they're going to be a little short, but uh, Fast Eddie had a question on defensive pressure that you already talked about, but also um, with Kyle Prater, why isn't he be given a chance in the red zone? Uh, you know, Dan and other reporters always seem to break, but they don't bring it up to Kiffin after practice interviews. Why aren't people doing that? And then here's a voicemail question, too, that's kind of along the same lines. We'll play that. Hey, Ryan, this is Corey calling in. I listen to the Pierce uh, podcast all the time. This question is for Harvey Hyde, Coach Hyde, or uh, Dan Weber. I just had a question, like, is anybody talking to to the coaches? I know they got their own thing. They coach, they do their thing. But, like I said, I don't think it's really hard to, like, um, say, incorporate Kyle Prater into the red zone offense, at least. We usually we kick in field goals. We leave him too much points on the board. Uh, he doesn't have to know the playbook to, to catch a figure out. That was it. Thanks. 
Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't think it's so much uh, the playbook issue. I, I think it actually has been uh, his availability in practice day after day after day, and it looks like that's kind of you know solved itself here the last few weeks. Uh, Kyle just had a streak of uh, you know he's a, a six five kid, but maybe twenty pounds under what Mike Williams had, and Mike you know Williams had the ability to protect himself to keep a zone of, uh, you know, where people didn't get into his body. And Kyle's still working on that and still working on uh, the release and still working on, I mean, people really do try to jam him at the line of scrimmage. And uh, those are things that, that will come, uh, I think, uh, and I, I'm, I'm a big, you know, Kyle booster, and he certainly, they do throw in the ball in practice, uh, even, you know, if it's a day after he, say, missed, you know, either was sick or, or had an injury. Uh, and, and they say they, they definitely incorporate him there. The other thing you have to understand, I think, is they have had, uh, I mean, they do have, this is not a, a position of need, uh, either tight end, uh, you know, if you want the 6'4", you 6'5", know, guys involved, or, um, or wide receiver. So uh, it's not like, you know, they're running guys out there who can't make plays. They, you know, they, they've got guys who can make plays, and, and you know, uh, as much as you um, – you think about Kyle in the red zone, and I, I think they're going to get there. But, you know, right now I think, uh, you know, you're looking at a Robert Woods and, you know, allowing him to make, uh, you know, either find the open area or make a diving catch, or you're looking, uh, you know, at uh, play action that you go to one of the tight ends and, and so forth. But, but I don't think just because they haven't done it yet doesn't mean they won't do it. And, uh, and, and I do think, you know, that there's none of that sense of uh, – you know, that they're disappointed in Kyle or whatever. It's more a case when you do ask them, and we have it, you know, we, we definitely ask them, it's, a, it's more of a case of his availability on a day-to-day basis uh, just because of, 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 you know, this kind of a nagging injury or maybe he was, uh, you know, like he was uh, the other day uh, sick and missed the practice. And it, it, it's made it a little harder to incorporate him, uh, but, uh, you know, not necessarily through any fault of his own or the USC coaches. I, I think that's going to be okay. I think they're going to, they're going to get to that place with, with Kyle. Okay. Uh, real quick, Amir from Sherman Oaks. You might have answered the first part of this question, but who is the best player, one on offense, one on defense, you see in practice that doesn't get much or any playing time? Good question. Uh, haven't thought about that. I, I, uh, hmm. Would you say Kyle Prater, like for offense maybe? <laughs> I, guess, I mean, I guess we could go there. Uh, uh, I'll tell you what, Cody Kessler is pretty good. I mean, you know, if you uh, you know, and I know, uh, you know, it's, it's not, not that easy always to, uh, you know, to, to go with that. But I, uh, I really like, uh, I like what I see of, of, of Cody, uh, you know, when he's out there, um, uh, on defense, uh, interesting question. Uh, I think Demetrius Wright has been, has really had some, you know, he got, you know, uh, uh, he was so unhappy, you know, he got that injury right before the season and, you know he's he really played well and 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 played hard and and he's a kid that really tries hard and I think it's hard in the secondary if you're not in the in the mix it's hard to stay in the mix uh, it, it's still I think a little bit more like an NFL uh, situation where you basically invest an awful lot in your starters and you pretty much hope that you know you don't have to you know, take him out. Uh, I think in the same uh, uh, line of thinking might be Tony Burnett as well, who, you know, they switched to cornerback to be a big cover corner. Maybe uh, man-to-man coverage wasn't his, uh, you know, thing that he did without really working on it and 
I, I think maybe he wasn't right there yet. And so, uh, uh, you know, we see him on special teams, and he really is a guy that, you know, athletic and, and he'll hit you and all that kind of thing. And, and uh, so those are a couple of guys, similar kinds of guys, athletic, strong, tough, play hard, uh, and uh, just aren't exactly in the mix uh, right now uh, to get a lot of playing time. All right. Uh, here's another voicemail question. Hi, my name is Valentin, and uh, I have a question regarding the defense, the defense uh, for USC. Although we won the Notre Dame game, uh, it could have been different uh, if uh, they don't fumble the ball at 17-10. Are they going to attack Luck? Are they going to attack him constantly on Saturday, or we're going to lose this game because of the defense again? And the second question, I found it interesting with that we were winning the game and you couldn't hear the uh, USC band uh, in the fourth quarter of the of the game. All right, so that was uh, – he said – he went on to say that there was something about the USC band. You could hear him earlier in the game and then not later on. Did something change? Was there some deal? I didn't, I didn't know if anything about that, Dan. But It wouldn't surprise me if uh, there were mics cut off because the USC band, by the end of the game, they were basically on the field. I mean, you couldn't cross through that whole corner of the, of the stadium uh, because the USC band is occupying the field. Now, it was similar to uh, 2005 in the Bush push when, you know, basically both bands were on the field. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if, uh, you know, something happened to uh, not allow the USC band to maybe be heard as much, uh, uh, you know, on the, on the broadcast uh, because they are a dominant presence at games like that i mean it's uh it's uh and it's a worry if i were a home team usc's got the longest streak of, of taking a band or an away game of any team in the country and uh and when they bring the whole band uh and they've got those really identifiable uh things that they play it's intimidating i think a little bit even for notre dame which now has a band at least as big as usc they, they got a heck of a big band as well but that doesn't normally happen, and so uh, so it wouldn't have surprised me if uh, there were other things at work and you're not hearing the USC band uh, by the end of the game. Uh, and uh, I'm, I wish I could think about the other uh, the other part of that question. Oh, he's just talking uh, about uh, coming after Andrew Luck. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that's going to be a really interesting uh, uh, situation is to see what does USC decide to do is the best way. Uh, you know. Uh, Stanford isn't exactly the kind of team that, you know, is throwing a lot of underneath routes uh, uh, and, do, and, and you know, like Arizona and Arizona State tried to take advantage of USC uh, because, of their you know, they're throwing to their tight ends and they're throwing their tight ends on, you know, seam routes and they're doing wheel stuff and, and all of that. Uh, and uh, then they run a lot of play action stuff. So it's a kind of a different look. It'll be, in, it'll be very interesting to see uh, – you know, does USC think that their front four can, uh, you know, handle a, an offensive line that even though they've got a couple of new guys in there, still have some really, really, uh, you know, I think uh, some of the NFL draft uh, have, you know, uh, you know, they have, you know, their kid, uh, uh, oh, I can't think of his name, the senior tackle is right behind uh, McAleel. Uh, so, uh, you know, and they, they're really good at things like I thought they were the best tackling offensive line I, I saw last year. I think uh, USC found that out at the end of the game, and all of a sudden you would see a USC defensive end in great position to stop, uh, you know, an off-tackle run, and then all of a sudden he disappeared. I, I think I, I don't know that I've seen a better tackling offensive line than, than Stanford has. Uh, be interesting to see how 
or, you know, if any of that is called. But, uh, but I think you're right, Ted. That matchup, what UFC decides to do to stop luck, is this a case where you try to stop everybody else? You don't let them run the ball? You try to really take it, you know, you try to, you know, have Gallipo, uh, you know, help out with those tight ends, and you depend on the UFC front four to, you know, have a standoff with the, uh, with the Stanford uh, offensive line. I, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to how that plays out. Okay, uh, let's try to get to a couple more real quick. Here's one. This message is for the coach. Coach, I noticed that um, in the game against Notre Dame, especially the tight ends, when they'd get tackled, they would always roll forward an extra couple of yards before they'd pop up and hand the ball to the official. Is that a technique that coaches teach in practice? Hey, wherever you get tackled, make sure you're moving forward before you get up and hand the ball to the official. Or is that just a football instinct that the guys have? And does it ever work? Does the official ever go, hey, I thought he got tackled at the 12, but he's at the 10, so we'll spot the ball at the 10. Thanks. Well, I, let me say this. They do work on it. They, these tight ends seem to have that in their DNA a little bit. They just have a lot of guys who just kind of, you know, are, are, are guys that go forward. And, and, and just, uh, you know, Red Ellison, I think, is, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, inspires them a little bit. And uh, I, I, Telfair and Grimble have, you know, followed up, uh, you know, in that kind of, uh, you know, so – I just think it's how they practice, uh, and, and, and Ted Gilmore, you know, uh, and Justin Mesa, and there are times when they run both the wide receivers and the tight ends together, but they're both, you know, focused on, on the physical part of it, and uh, and I think USC does a pretty good job of, of uh, you know, kind of classily just getting up, handing the ball to the official and running back, and I, it can't hurt, uh, let's just say that, you know, it's just... Uh, it's a good thing. It's a good way to do it. It, it looks good, and, and I sure, uh, you know, I sure approve of it. All right, not then. sure if it always works, but uh, but it can't hurt. Okay, They're not going to take yards away from you. True. <laughs> uh, then one last thing. Um, Jeff wanted to know, and what tries to do this, uh, about Dylan Baxter. I know there was a conference call yesterday. Maybe we can kind of give an update. Uh, Jeff does. He thinks it's obvious it's not going to work out. Let him. Let him go and play someone else and uh, clear up a spot for the 70-man, 75-man roster. There's a lot of speculation on if he's going to transfer. What's the, the latest going on with uh, Dylan Baxter? Well, I mean, I know he, did, you know, with not getting to be on the travel squad, uh, you know, that may have have brought things to a head. I know he had a, um, you know, a kind of a difficult week. Uh, you know, Dylan has um, one of apparently it seems to have one of the more unusual schedules on the team because he's. One of the, you know, mostly with upperclassmen where they have to leave, uh, you know, because there's only one particular section offered in uh, in their major or whatever, and it just happens to be an early morning class that conflicts with practice. But Dylan had a couple of, you know, class practice, you know, conflicts last week because they changed the practice schedule a little bit, and then uh, he also had the, you know, missing Sunday's practice, and uh, uh, so it was a difficult week for him. Now they did use him when he was there, and he did get reps and, and that. Uh, my my feeling with Dylan is they have to figure out a way if they if if he's to stay here and to really be a contributor he's got an unusual skill, set of skills much like Kyle Prater and you have to figure out how can we use those skills and that skill set I thought they'd done a really good job of doing that last year incorporating him into the backs cat and uh, incorporating uh, you know that uh, as a kind of red zone alternative uh, attack 
where he could be a slot receiver, get deep in the end zone. He's got great hands or where he could be a run pass option guy. Uh, and to me, that would be the ideal kind of change of pace, trick play, rather than have real trick plays like they tried with, you know, the sideways uh, snap to Red Ellis and a cow and all that. Just incorporate that kind of offense. Now, the problem is if they don't feel confident enough in that Dylan will be there every, you know, you know, every week for him, every practice for him and all that. And I know, you know, they're probably uh, – Dylan isn't exactly the kind of player, uh, you know, that that USC uh, backfield coach, you know, Kennedy Palomalu is a, you know, physical, challenging, tough, you know, take them on right away uh, uh, technique guy. And, uh, you know, my guess would be they're, they're not exactly on the same wavelength and uh, – if they can't get on the same wavelength and everybody can't agree, here's how we uh, here's how we have to use Dylan and here's you know why he's valuable and all that, you know, and maybe everybody does have to you know rethink uh, where this is going forward, uh, which I guess is exactly what's happening you know yesterday today. Now if somebody said you know Dylan uh, has a you know you know kind of one of those moments where you know. You know, coach, there's no way I, I I don't want to be here and blah 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 and all that. I mean, I think you know, I think anything is possible. Uh, I'm not as optimistic as I was, and we'll probably find out tomorrow uh, exactly you know what what the decision has been. Uh, but uh, you know, sometimes it just doesn't work out. You know, I mean, uh, we all like Marquis Ambos, and and yet uh, you know, sometimes you're in situations where there's just nothing you can do to to make it better here and uh, you know the best thing is to to you know start over again somewhere else uh, i hope that doesn't happen but uh, I, i'll be honest i want you know kind of what's best for dylan at this point uh, you know I, I i really like him and uh, uh, i hope hope it works out for him all right dan well thanks so much for uh all the questions man we went about 50 minutes in this segment so i apologize it's going to be an extra long podcast today because we've still got a bunch of recruiting questions to get to with gerard martinez but Uh, Thanks again, Dan, for coming on. We appreciate all the insight, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you very much, Ryan. Enjoyed it. All right, everyone else, back in 30 seconds with Gerard Martinez. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concerts, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. We're joined by uscfootball.com national recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez. We're going to talk about the USC Notre Dame game. We're going to talk about recruiting, everything that's been going on. Gerard, what's up, man? How are you? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? Good, good. Just uh, you know, trying to get everything together. We've had a huge podcast already. I know we have a bunch of recruiting questions to get to as well. And maybe just first we can start off with your initial thoughts on you know, what happened, there was two big events. One, uh, Jordan Simmons committing, and then two, 
USC getting that big win over Notre Dame. Evan actually had a question about that. He's like, with the huge, literally and figuratively, commitment of Jordan Simmons and the beatdown in South Bend, are any prospects looking at USC with more interest? I know it's early, but uh, what do you think about Evan's question? Well, first and foremost, yeah, there were two huge events. They were really very, very huge events, uh, mainly because Jordan Simmons first, uh, big-time prospect, the guy that we talked about, you know, warming up to USC, warming up to USC, and we kind of felt like uh, he was going to commit pretty soon. Um, talked about maybe committing at his Army All-American ceremony when we were there a couple weeks ago and pulled the trigger last Friday night before his senior night um, at the high school. And um, it's big because you got a 6'5", 330-pound kid that could come in and play guard for sure. He's a guy that, in my opinion, and I've said this time and time again, I think is a five-star guard if there ever was one. And he can also, and I think just because of his intangibles, bounce out and maybe as a freshman be a guy that competes for that left tackle spot if Matt Khalil leaves. Um, I think physically he can play guard and be extremely dominant. We're talking about Shiloh Rochelle guy. Or, you know, in that early stage, come out and play a little bit of that left tackle mainly because he's got such poise and he's got some of those intangibles, those things that, you know, you really need to be able to play offensive line early in your career. Um, guys are going to be, you know, physically they're going to have to develop more. Uh, but as you've seen with Marcus Martin, you know, being able to play inside, that's really tough. I mean, that's really a surprising move by USC this year. It was not a guy that I would have bet would be playing as a freshman and starting as a true freshman. Marcus Martin would have been a guy that I'd say, hey, you know, that's a guy that needs a red shirt and he's going to need time to physically develop. He's got a lot of talent. The guy's got great feet. Uh, he's got great balance. He's got good agility. I see him going to be a, a, maybe a star for USC down the line, but I never would have predicted he would have played as much as he has starting as a true freshman. Well, Jordan Simmons has a lot of everything that Marcus Martin has. Smart kid, very focused. But I think he has, you know, even more poise and even more ability. And he's a little bigger than Marcus Martin. So, you know, I, I think, you know, maybe that had a lot to do with it. You know, I know that, uh, you know, he's friends with Marcus. Uh, Jordan Simmons went to Dorsey High School and played against Marcus Martin and still has a lot of friends in the city. So I think, you know, seeing Marcus Martin, seeing his ability to come in and make an impact early at USC kind of opened Jordan Simmons' eyes because Jordan knows that he's that level of talent. Um, so, you know, we'll see, you know, where he ends up playing, uh, kind of working on something there, uh, maybe a piece for all the fans out there to kind of, you know, talk a little bit more about where he fits in the offensive line. And I just think, you know, a lot of people are going to talk about him playing guard, and that was, you know, my first reaction to to watching him play I thought you know definitely going to play guard and I still think down the line that's where his you know most value comes in but we got to see what happens at left tackle at that is again if Matt Khalil leaves you know that's going to be a very interesting open spot and you got to if you're going to have a true freshman playing there you've got to have a guy that's got some poise that's got composure um that that's not going to get rattled because that's a tough position to play out there against the speed rusher uh, you're playing you know quarterbacks blindside you got to have somebody there that just doesn't get overwhelmed and i've had seen jordan simmons play a ton of times uh, he's a guy that just doesn't get rattled. I've seen him play against older players when he was younger. Guys like Steve Dillon, um, you know, in some of these camps where they're, you know, a year or two years older than him. You know, we watched him play at the UCLA above and beyond camp when he was coming out of his sophomore year and he was still at Dorsey. And the kid was just, he was just tough as nails. I got some photos of him and he's going one on one with these guys. And you see in these photos when you're zoomed in and these one on one trench battles, you know, these guys are making all these faces and they're, uh, ah, 
And then you look at Jordan Simmons, and he's just stone cold, just like, hmm, just going through my little progression here, making sure my technique's good, just stone face, look like he's got a poker face. And I'm just like, wow, this dude just, like, nothing's getting to this guy. I mean, this is like a big-time camp. There's guys that are going against him that have been to camps before, uh, that, that, that are guys that are marquee names, and he just never – just never phased him and and you know i mean doesn't mean that he was flawless and never got beat but i just think the composure that wasn't the issue for him and i think that's going to be a big really a big value and asset to usc and to him making that transition from high school uh, to college football uh, the other big event obviously notre dame and, and really it was a big event on notre dame's own doing because they brought in 25 26 official visitors for that USC game, which is really, I mean, it might be the most official visitors for one team in one weekend in the history of recruiting. I mean, the list went on and on about guys who were there. They had, you know, the commits and, and Deontay Greenberry, uh, a, a 6'2", 195-pound uh, receiver slash maybe safety. He doesn't want to play safety, but kind of looks better if he would have played safety, I think, in college. He's really stuck on playing receiver. Um, he's, he's a pretty big-time player, four-star guy. Uh, and then they got his buddy, um, T. Shepard, who's one of the top cornerbacks in the West. Uh, he's about 6'1", 175. And both those guys commit to Notre Dame. which kind of shocked a lot of people, especially early. Greenberry never even visited Notre Dame until this weekend. And he, and he verbally committed there. They had those guys coming in, and then they had some, you know, a few other commits coming in. But then they had this long list of guys who were uncommitted. Guys like Zach Banner, uh, six, you know, six nine, three hundred and ten pound offensive tackle uh, from Washington. He's a big time player that USC's really hard on. Um, you know, Byron Marshall, a running back that USC just offered from San Jose. Uh, they brought in uh, Jordan Payton and Ishmael Adams, both the the big time players from uh, from Oaks Christian High School. You know, Jordan Payton was committed to USC for a while. And then they kind of parted ways. Um, I don't think USC was really too broken up about that. Uh, but still, you know, a big time guy. They're bringing in from California. Uh, you know, they just the list went on and on for the guys that they brought in. And I think to have that kind of setting, and it was an amazing atmosphere. And I think Notre Dame really realized that and they wanted to capture that. I think they were very, very confident that they were going to beat USC. I think that while the atmosphere is great and you want to have kids in that setting, and you can always spin it like, hey, you know what? you're not going to play in a big time game like this just anywhere you go. And, you know, we got the gold helmets and playing at night and it's this big deal. You know, we beat USC last year. We're even better this year. So we're going to beat them by even more. And there was just that sense of, I don't want to say cockiness, but man, you heard it from Notre Dame fans. And I think it, the, the, the amount of kids they brought in that weekend just kind of reflected what the coaches on the coaching staff thought as well for USC to go in there and just kick their butts. And they really need to kick their butts. I mean, they went and they ran at them, and they kind of beat them up in that first half, uh, really on the ground with the running game, which even myself, I wouldn't have predicted that. Uh, I didn't think USC was going to be able to run the ball really well against Notre Dame. I thought it would be similar to maybe Cal in terms of trying to run the ball against them. Uh, but they did. And, you know, Mark Tyler looked good. Louis McNeil looked good. The offensive line looked fantastic. I mean, you know, Barkley really didn't have a lot of pressure on him. And, you know, that first half, USC completely dominated them only up a touchdown. So you're starting to think, oh, man, this is going to be one of those games. You know, USC's played really well. They've showed well. But, and, and defensively, they showed well as well. I mean, it, you know, only gave up really that kick return. That was the thing that kind of squared the game and kind of changed the momentum in that first half where USC was completely dominating. It looked like it was going to be 21 nothing first half. And so you're going, you know what, USC's put together a good showing. You know those recruits are up there looking, going, you know, 
ah, yeah, this is pretty good. You know, USC's coming into a really hostile environment, and you have to imagine that they liked what they saw offensively. USC was spreading the ball around, getting the ball to the tight end, getting the ball to the receivers, you know, letting the running backs run, and they don't really have a lot of key running backs. And I think if you're a recruit, you're looking – at some of these players, and again, I think this kind of goes back to the Jordan Simmons, Marcus Martin thing. You know, Marcus Martin was a three-star guy. Marcus Martin was looked at as a real marquee recruit. He was looked at as a good get for USC because of the need on offensive line, but he wasn't necessarily looked at as a guy that was going to be, oh, man, this big-time player that you kind of build your program around, whereas Jordan Simmons is more of that type of guy. So you're looking and seeing what USC's done from a developmental standpoint, from the coaching standpoint of being able to bring a kid in early, a young kid, play him, and have him develop and start to actually play well within the system. Kids see that, you know, and they know these kids. They know these their peers. They know the other recruits that are now these players at USC, and they start to go, okay, he's doing that. I think I can do that plus. I can do even better because I think I'm better than that guy. So that's one of those things where you start to see, you know, with a guy like, you know, Mark Tyler's running around with a bum shoulder. Um, you know, Moody McNeil, he came from nowhere. I mean, a bunch of these guys are going, who the heck is Moody McNeil? They got a midget running in the backfield? Who is this guy? I could do, I mean, you know, if you're Byron Marshall, you're thinking, shoot, man, I run 10.65, and I'm three inches taller than that guy. So, you know, there starts to be that kind of equation of, uh, you know, if I got in there, I think I could make an impact because USC's doing this with a lot of guys that maybe are marquee guys. And it's similar to what, you know, Pete Carroll did when he took over and took over the team with a lot of Paul Hackett's talent. You know, you're starting to do things that, you know, there's guys that maybe weren't these big-time recruits that you're still winning ball games with. And so, you know, they come out of that, that first half and they go in the second half and the game, you know, is, is kind of up in the air and it kind of starts to go back and forth a little bit. And then USC gets that big turnover now at the goal line when Dan Chris comes in the game. And that kind of was the turning point. And then USC kind of got back on top and they kind of got back into control in the game. And again, defensively, they kept playing well. And, and that's going to be another key, I think, for them. You know, they, they really got to try to impress some guys defensively, make the defense look fun. I think when I talk to defensive recruits, a guy like Shaq Thompson, who's a five-star guy that was also on the visit, you know, that's a, that's a, you know, that's a 6'2", 200, almost 10-pound uh, defensive back. He's probably going to play safety, also plays running back. And USC's talked to him a little bit about running back. They, that might be something where they might get in his ear just by, you know, kind of saying, hey, you know what, we think you're going to play safety, but we'll give you an opportunity to play some running back if you want to, you know, early in fall camp to make sure that may not be your better position. But you want to impress those defensive players by having guys get out there and just look like they're having fun, running around, making plays. And that's what they did in this game. I mean, Nicole Roby, huge interception. Um, you know, they had some turnovers where you have a guy like Jawanza Starling being able to bring that 98 um, fumble recovery, 98-yard fumble recovery for a touchdown. That's, that's a big play. I mean, it, it, even though it's not necessarily a forced play, you know, those guys start to envision themselves in that setting, in that big game, making plays for USC because USC is the one who won the game. So I think, you know, overall, obviously, USC put a good showing out there. Obviously, it's a huge win, and I think it kind of – sort of shut up Notre Dame, which is, you know, obviously a team that USC plays year in and year out. You don't want a bunch of those guys going to Notre Dame. So it was a win, 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 you know, <laughs> all the way around for them. <laughs> and then afterwards we hear that, you know, some of those uh, some of those recruits that are on their official visit, they can't talk to the USC coaching staff while they're there. That's not legal. Um, but they can't talk to some of the players, and a lot of those guys know some of the players at USC. And evidently, 
when Brian Kelly was going on his tirade and kind of peeling the paint from the walls in the Notre Dame locker room, they kind of kept the recruits at bay, and I guess they didn't want to necessarily have them in the locker room right after the game when that team talk was going on. Uh, some of them kind of wandered over to the USC side uh, of the locker rooms and were kind of hanging out and talking. And that's, you know, also a good sign because it shows them that those guys are comfortable with uh, some of the USC players. And, you know, it sounds like they were congratulating them and maybe had some good things to say about USC and kind of the way they played. So you had Shaq Thompson, you had Eric Armstead, you had uh, Zach Banner. Um, you also had Gunnar Keel was reportedly kind of hanging around um, talking to Matt Barkley, which is kind of an interesting thing. You know, Gunnar Keel is a, a quarterback at Indiana who committed early to Indiana, and, you know, he's got a, you know, a brother that played and, and kind of a history with the family. USC offered him very, very early in the process, kind of seemed like one of those offers that they kind of just wanted to get their foot in the door and knew he was going to be a big-time guy, so they just kind of wanted to see, hey, we might need a quarterback this year. We're not sure what's going to happen with Matt Barkley. Let's just kind of get our foot in the door with an out-of-state guy. And so he's reopened up his recruitment. He's reconsidering uh, a few different schools, Notre Dame being one of them. It sounds like USC might be a school he's also reconsidering. Not sure if USC is going to take him up on that. You know, USC, the only guy that they really – seem to recruit um, into the season has been Jake Rodriguez, who's the quarterback up at um, Whitney High School in Rockland. He's actually the teammate of Jalen Cole Fitzpatrick, who's uh, the tight end that's committed to, to USC. But um, he's committed, uh, Jake Rodriguez, is to Oregon. And so that's kind of a, eh, you know, I don't know if that's they're chasing that one a little bit. Uh, we'll kind of see how that develops. But he's been the only really quarterback that USC's been uh, hard after. So we'll kind of see how it plays out. We'll see if Gunnar Keel is a guy that ends up maybe taking a visit. Um, it's, again, you know, another positive, and, and you can't necessarily uh, not like if you're a USC fan, you know, all these different kids looking at your program and maybe some renewed interest from some guys that stop looking at your program at some point during the process. Okay, uh, let's see. Well, let's try to get some of these questions. You mentioned Eric Armstead, and we have a voicemail and some text, uh, some email questions about Eric. Here's the first one. Hey, Ryan, my name is Miguel. I have a question for Gerard. Eric um, Armstead was on an official visit to Notre Dame. Wanted to know if him watching USC dominate Notre Dame would make him reconsider his commitment. Um, and is he still really looking at USA, or we should just move on and look for a Andres Speed or a Josh Carnett? Thank you very much. Well, all of the above, actually. Um, the win doesn't really, I think, change Eric Armstead's stance on decommitting from USC because it was never about USC and the football program. It was never directly about the coaches the players, playing time, the style of play, where he was being recruited at, all those things work for USC. They're positives. For me, it basically comes down to his brother, Armin Armstead, not being cleared health-wise. That's period. That's it. Now, there may be some talk about, well, we're not sure about this, we're not sure about that. But really, I think the truth of the truth of the matter is it's all about his brother not being cleared, how that was handled by team doctors, the trainers, just that process of going through trying to get him cleared, the carrot being dangled, hey, take this test, take that test, you'll be good. If it's all negative, they're all negative, and he wasn't cleared. And I think that was frustrating uh, to his family and to his parents. I talked to Eric after he decommitted. I felt like 
there was still some serious factors that, you know, he liked about USC, things that drew him to USC. And I don't know that uh, he still doesn't want to go to USC. I think he's envisioned himself going to USC for a long time now, and now it's hard for him to kind of think about going to another school. I think that win, the only thing it may have done is maybe it cast doubt into going to Notre Dame. And you don't want to go to Notre Dame and, and get beat by USC after being a guy that kind of grew up a USC fan and, will, you know, really looked at going and committing to USC. Now, granted, kind of sort of happened with Manti Teo. And, but, you know, <laughs> USC could turn around and say, hey, look, it, do you want to be Manti Teo? <laughs> and, and that's a pretty good example of why maybe you don't want to go to Notre Dame and have to play against USC year, year out uh, growing up a USC fan. So I think that's really probably the only positive there's not really a lot, you know, to be taken from the game. Those are not the reasons he decommitted, so it's not a reason he's going to reconsider uh, to commit. Does USC still have a chance at him? They do. I think it's slim. I think that, uh, again, it still falls on the team doctors, the administration, kind of how they handle uh, the situation with Armand. And, you know, Armand is still at USC right now. Uh, he's going to continue to practice in the limited fashion that he has in the past since he was uh, taken to the hospital in March. Um, you know, I don't know if there's being anything done as far as movement behind the scenes in terms of getting more tests or trying to find a way that would appease uh, the administration, uh, the doctors, the lawyers, whoever's involved in keeping him out and not allowing him to play. But at the end of the day, I think if Armand ends up transferring and going to another school, Eric's right behind him and probably not, uh, not going to USC. Okay, cool. And then Stephen Poway, hopefully that answered your questions about Eric. And also uh, Matt had uh, questions about that. So we had a whole bunch of Eric Armstead questions. So hopefully that was answered. Let's see. We have, hello, Ryan Gerard. I love the show. I'm a huge Trojan fan from Minneapolis. I have a question about Jadon Mickens. He's listed as an athlete on the site. Is he going to be a slot or a change of pace back? He looks like the Anthony Thomas light on tape. That's Major Chumley third asking that. Uh, yeah, I don't think so. Um, I think he's really a slot receiver. He's really a receiver. I don't really know why Rivals has him listed as an athlete. Maybe at some point they thought he could play cornerback. I don't see it. Uh, he's really more of an offensive player. I think he's a good offensive player. Uh, I don't know if he's going to end up at USC regardless. Um, we've talked about this time and time again, the receiver position. You know, I think Darius Rogers is the only guy that over time has really kind of um, – proven his worth, if you will, uh, by performances, and a guy that USC really, really likes and really wants to go on and is recruiting hard. Um, I think everybody else, you know, Jordan Payton uh, and Jadon Mickens, uh, both those guys, when they were committed, I, I thought, you know, they're not going to last. They're not all going to remain committed to USC. And really for a while, I kind of wondered if Jadon would be the first guy to decommit. So, you know, he's looking at Washington. He's looking at Cal. He's looking at SMU. Uh, there's a few different schools that he's looking at. And USC, you know, it could be a situation like Jordan Payton where it just kind of plays itself out and he ends up decommitting and goes somewhere else. I think, you know, if there's a second receiver on the board as of now, uh, that guy's going to be Nelson Aguilar, uh, the 6'1", 180-pound um, athlete, but really, you know, could play safety, could play receiver um, out of Tampa. He's a five-star recruit. Um, he's a guy that has a great relationship with Monty Kiffin, has a great relationship with Lane Kiffin, and kind of a similar player to maybe Marquise Lee. 
um, a guy that really is that athlete that you could put anywhere. They, you know, they play him at running back, they play him at safety, they play him at receiver. A lot of people watch his tape and they see a guy that's, you know, just breaking angles and doing all these crazy things, has great highlights, but he does play for Berkeley Prep, which is a very small school in Tampa, so it's kind of like a small private school that I think talent-wise his competition is not very good, so you have to kind of take a little bit of his highlights with a grain of salt. Um, he's not necessarily playing against some of the teams that uh, Robert Woods and Marquise Lee played against. Um, but having said that, still very, very cerebral player. What you like about Nelson Aguilar is he's a guy, I mean, he's a 4.0 student. He's very smart. He's talking about maybe doing pre-med and all these other kind of crazy things, you know, in, tar- in terms of academic majors. Um, he's, a, he's got no maintenance, uh, no baggage, um, just a really good kid, really solid family, and one of those players that I think you bring in a program, and regardless of what happens to him in terms of his skill and what his talent level ends up being, uh, he's going to be a, a good student and I think a good representative of your school. So um, that's a guy that, you know, you never say can't miss uh, in the world of recruiting because, you know, fans always have certain expectations of a guy, and, you know, if he's not turned around and doesn't be a first-round pick, sometimes you're going to, you know, have some people say, oh, well, he wasn't as good as he was supposed to be. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, a KMS is a kid that you get in your university and he actually betters the program just overall, and you don't have any issues with him. And, and I think Nelson Aguilar is one of those kids that off the field uh, is, is is really good person, and I think that's um, going to be a win-win for whoever is able to sign him. Uh, but USC is definitely one of those schools involved with him, and he was a guy that played exclusively at receiver at the Rising Stars camp, which surprised a lot of people because, you know, a lot of people look at him and say, oh, that, that could be a guy that he could definitely play safety and would be that safety that maybe USC doesn't have, a guy that's got ball skills, a guy that really plays the angles well. Um, you know, speed-wise, again, that's the question. You know, he, on film, he looks like a blazer. He looks like a 10-5 guy. But I don't know that he's really got that speed um, when you start looking at his times and you start looking, you know, he's more kind of 4'6 uh, than, than maybe a guy like Marquise Lee who was 10'8'8 coming out of high school and definitely, you know, he's got some legit track times. Um, but, again, you know, uh, not like USC's hurt for receivers. Um, <laughs> maybe that helps him. Uh, maybe that hurts him with Nelson Aguilar. Um, obviously, they've played their young receivers. Um, early and often, and um, you know we'll kind of see how that develops. He's got to take an official visit before we really know if Nelson Aguilar is a, a legitimate uh, candidate to, to end up in the class. But right now, you know, as far as who USC is recruiting hard, I'd say they're recruiting him probably harder than than even Jadon Mickens, who's already committed. Okay, uh, well, we've got a couple of questions to get to. We're gonna try and do them fairly quickly if we can. I know we're we're going really long on this podcast, but a lot of questions to get to. It probably a Record number of questions. Uh, he said, you mentioned on the podcast on 1017 that USC needed depth at the middle linebacker position. Who is USC recruiting for that coveted position? Any high-profile names? That's from Evan. You know, there's really not any high-profile names at this point. Uh, Ryan uh, McDaniel was a guy that we talked about early on and, and a guy that really impressed us first as a running back and then, you know, started looking at some of his linebacker highlights. And he was really impressive there as well, 6'1", 225. Um, definitely kind of a, a stout, shorter, explosive linebacker than you know some of the bigger, lengthier guys that USC's recruited in years past. Um, but unfortunately, he blew his knee. He's you know got an ACL and an MCL that's taking him out for the season. He's had surgery on that already. Um, that kind of puts his 
future a little bit in doubt with USC just because of limited scholarships. It's tough to take a kid that has that type of injury. Um, USC's kind of been sniffing around Aaron Porter, who's a 6'1", 225-pound linebacker from La Habra. Um, hasn't been a ton of movement on him lately, but they did go check him out at one of his games. Um, a lot of people that have seen him in person like him a lot. We saw him at the Nike camp. He was okay. Uh, wasn't, you know, amazing, uh, but a guy that, you know, plays a little better on pads when you put the film on. Uh, but in terms of, like, big-time marquee names, there really aren't a lot of those guys. There are more, you know, outside linebackers this year. And I think, you know, year in and year out, it's a little tough to find a real marquee Mike linebacker. I mean, everybody's looking for it. Everybody's looking for Fontes Perfect. Everybody's looking for Manti Teo. Um, that's why, you know, when USC missed on those two guys, it was such – a significant miss because you know those guys just don't come around every year and that was two of them in the same year so it's uh it's one of those things where you kind of have to search a little bit um there's some some smaller guys out there that you know i i kind of have my eye on like you know a guy like michael barton who's really only about six foot you know 205 pounds 210 pounds plays for de la salle high school committed to cal but that's a kid you put on the tape who's really active he hits hard and i think you know, in the system that USC has at this point, I kind of wonder if a smaller middle linebacker might be better for them. Uh, right now they got Chris Galipo, who's you know, listed 6'2", 250 pounds. A big guy like that, it seems in this system, having to cover and having to get uh, downfield in the cover two uh, coverages that they use so much, um, you, you had a guy that's turning and running downfield, and, and you really, I mean, he's more of a bruiser that you want to play up line, around the line of scrimmage. Um, maybe if you have somebody that's a little more active, uh, a little smaller, a little better in coverage, a little better in space, that might be a better personnel fit for USC with this current scheme. Um, that's kind of why we talked about a little bit on the peristyle. I've mentioned maybe, you know, in the future, maybe moving uh, Hayes Pullard over there. Uh, because that's a guy that, I mean, he played middle linebacker in high school. He's a good leader, um, solid kid, uh, smart and uh, physical, and you've seen him play and just do some really good things um, at his strong side linebacker spot for USC this year. You know, I kind of wonder what he would be able to do playing inside linebacker. Obviously, you've got Lamar Dawson. And I think he's going to be a star, you know, going through, um, you know, as he gets older and starts to mature and starts to you just understand uh, the, the, the nuances of the, the, the scheme a little more, you know, as time goes on. Um, but uh, he's going to be a big-time player. But you need a little bit of a rotation there. You need to have some depth, and USC doesn't have it. So, I mean, it might be a little bit of a shell game with guys who are already on the roster. I don't know if they're going to find that big-time guy out there recruiting-wise this year. Okay, and then uh, Jeff had a couple questions on – Zach Banner and Shaq Thompson, uh, guys that you had already mentioned before. Um, you know, he just wants to know if uh, that performance in Jordan Simmons' uh, verbal helped seal the deal with Banner to be one step closer to the Fab Five and um, with Shaq Thompson, the win, and the fact that USC produces the best safeties in college football, did that gain any traction with Shaq? So maybe some quick comments on those two guys. I don't know that for sure for Shaq. He's a tough guy, you know, to get on the phone. He really doesn't do interviews. And so I haven't spoken to him directly. I mean, we haven't really spoken to any of the guys coming from their visits directly. They didn't actually leave Notre Dame uh, until this morning. So a lot of those guys came in because it was a late game Saturday. They came in Saturday. So they didn't fly out until this morning. So a lot of the aftermath from that weekend has yet to really been realized. You know, they haven't had a lot of kids quoted. I've reached out to Zach Banner and a, a few other kids. So, you know, it's, it's time will tell a little bit as you start to hear a little more about what's going on. I think, you know, Zach Banner, he's very tight with Eric Armstead. I think that was helping USC for a while. Um, I don't necessarily think it's going to hurt USC that he's, you know, tight with Eric Armstead and Eric Armstead is decommitted. Like I said, Eric Armstead's situation is, 
very unique. And, you know, to some degree, he doesn't really have control over what's going on. You know, you kind of wonder if Eric just had his way, if he would stay committed to USC. I, I don't know. You know, I, I, there's a lot going on there. Um, but uh, I think, you know, Banner – very high on USC right now, and he's been high on USC for a while. And you know, it's one of those things he's got to take an official visit. It sounds like he'll probably take that official visit for November 26 against UCLA. Uh, that's going to be a big weekend for USC, which it annually is. Um, whether it's U, uh, UCLA or it's Notre Dame, usually that last weekend is when they bring in a majority of their recruits uh, during the season. Um, but with Thompson, again, you know, that's, that you we kind of have to talk to him. We have to kind of see how that goes. I think you're going to see some things kind of changing and, and evolving with him once we get into maybe the Army All-American week. We start to get into January. He's, you know, kind of got some visits under his belt. Right now he's talking about Oregon and Washington being his leaders, but those are the two schools that he's officially visited, you know, outside of Notre Dame. Um, so, you know, we'll kind of see how it goes. Cal's still there. Can't necessarily just kind of brush Cal uh, under the under the rug because you know his brother went there, uh, Saquon Thompson, and he has some history there. And he committed there early in the process, and then kind of backed off that commit. And a lot of people said, oh, you know what, he's just doing that because he wants to get some of his teammates some exposure. Um, so you know, Cal's still definitely a player for him as well. But I, you know, I heard early on that USC was going to be a school that gets a legitimate look. The real issue is that they weren't able to get him in. Uh, at the Rising Stars camp over the summer. And that's kind of, you know, you want to be able to build those relationships with these kids and the coaching staff, and I say it, I think, probably every week, <laughs> the coaching staff at USC is their greatest asset in recruiting. And just their personalities, just in terms of their ability uh, to sell the program and kind of their energy and their intensity, that always seems to be something that plays big in the recruits' minds. And the more exposure the recruits have to that, the better for USC. And Shaq really hasn't been around USC talk to him on the phone, you get your weekly conversations, but it's not necessarily the same thing as being at a camp and being actually coached by them for a couple of days. So, you know, that kind of hurts. We'll see how it develops with them. Um, obviously, the safety position, T.J. McDonald maybe having an opportunity to leave early to the NFL, that's going to play big. I mean, you've also got Gerald Bowman there, who's an early enrollee, a 6'1", 210-pound safety from um, Pierce, Los Angeles Pierce College, who is a guy that's being recruited very hard by USC, too. So that's a more mature guy that maybe is more of a plug-and-play guy if uh, T.J. McDonald um, is to leave early. You feel maybe a little more confident with him. Um, but Shaq is a little more of a, a, a big-time athlete kind of all the way around. Uh, Bowman kind of fits more of a strong safety mold. Haven't seen him in person just a few weeks ago. He's a guy that kind of really is a Pete Carroll safety. He's one of those safeties that you kind of have around line of scrimmage that uh, that plays almost like a uh, you know a fourth linebacker, if you will. Um, so you know, kind of different players. You know, Shaq is definitely more of that overall crazy good athlete. And again, you could put him at running back. He might end up being a hell of a running back. So we'll kind of see how that goes. He's definitely a guy that you're not going to know where they sit with him until after his official visit to USC, which should come. I think that's you know, one of those visits that he really wanted to make, I, I think um, they still have a good shot at, at getting that. It'll probably be later in the year, though. Okay, and then one last question, Gerard, on official visitors or visitors for this weekend for Stanford. Uh, game day's coming to town. It's a big weekend. I, I know the coaches, it just kind of happened. Are there any visitors set for this weekend, or do you think they're going to try to put some together? 
not as of now. There's no official visitors. Um, I don't think USC wants to get caught up in uh, hosting 20 guys like you, uh, Notre Dame did last weekend. Um, again, that's kind of one of those things where you, you kind of take a little bit of a, a stance as to your confidence level when you bring in a bunch of recruits for a weekend because it takes time and effort and energy and focus to be able to host some of these recruits. You know, you want to bring some of these guys in and you want to be able to talk to them. You want to be able to spend time with them. Obviously, like I said, with Notre Dame, they had a late game Saturday, so they brought a lot of those guys in Saturday. So, you know, some of the pregame stuff, you're, you're spending time with all those recruits. And 20 guys, that's just insane. That was stupid. <laughs> Let me just say that. That was stupid by Notre Dame's coaching staff. That was too many guys. They really – when you get – really, quite frankly, when you get more than eight guys on campus that are taking official visits, you start to get into crazy mode. And to have 20 guys, that was insane. And quite frankly, it probably did hurt them uh, in the game. There probably was too much of a distraction for the coaches just that. Just that. That specific thing alone probably was a was a distraction for him. Um, so you know we'll see. USC tends to kind of pick and choose a little bit, out of state guys a little bit. They bring in during the season, uh, but as of now, uh, the, the this kind of the focus is on Stanford. Um, we'll see. You know maybe maybe they bring in a guy or two. It's a possibility, but as of right now, uh, nobody scheduled. Um, there was some talk uh, that. Um, uh, maybe uh, Dante Fowler Jr., a commit to Florida State, uh, 6'3", 240-pound defensive end, a five-star guy, tremendous talent out of St. Petersburg, Florida, was going to come in and, uh, and officially visit USC this weekend. That's not happening. He is going to official, officially visit USC. That's been announced. He's kind of broke down his top five. There's a story on the front page if you want to read that. Um, he is going to officially visit USC, but not this weekend. So as of now, no official visits, but that may change during the week. All right, Gerard. Well, great stuff, and uh, thanks for coming in and sharing all your insights on USC recruiting. Hopefully we can talk to you again on Wednesday. We're going to have Bruce Feldman on our Ustream show, so check out uscfootball.com for that. Uh, CBS Sports, uh, Bruce Feldman, college football analyst, formerly of ESPN. We're going to get some of his inside stories on that, so check that out. and. We'll have Gerard on as well. So if you have more questions for, on recruiting, you can talk to him then. But thanks again, Gerard. All right. Thank you for having me. All right. Everyone else, thank you very much for tuning in. Don't forget our Ustream show on Wednesday. Thanks for listening to the Peristyle Podcast. Coming up next weekend, USC versus Stanford. Next week, we'll talk all about that on the Peristyle Podcast. Enjoy your week until then, and enjoy college football. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.